Let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Luke again, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. Let's begin reading in verse uh, 38, verse 38 there. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Last week we began a a lesson or a message that I entitled, Balance in the Believer's Life. Balance in the Believer's Life. And we kind of took the time to have somewhat of an illustration that kind of showed us how we're to create balance, how... There's the Marys and there's the Martha, where there's basically that these two ladies, if you will, have a tendency to, uh, I guess, picture two types of Christians, it almost seems like. And so today, of course, I need my helpers, Emily, of course. I, I don't see my other helper today, but that's all right. So I tell you what, we'll use Hannah instead. I know she loves to be in front of folks. And so we'll go ahead and get Hannah up here and Emily, and they'll come on up and once again help us. Now, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that, unfortunately, Emily, you were Martha, weren't you? Yeah, so come on up, Martha. Yeah, you come on up. And we need a Mary, so Mary, why don't you go on over there? And Martha's right here, okay? You're good right there, honey. And right over there, if you would, please. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Move on up just a little bit, ladies. Come on up a little further so you're closer to the folks. They don't bite. Very good. All right? So now on one hand, we have our Mary, and then we have our Martha, okay? And so what we found was that there are two types of Christians. And, and we realized that on the one hand, we have Martha here, who obviously is cumbered about with much work. I mean, she's busy, and she is burdened down, and she's really, really concerned about the household. And as we said, probably for good reason, as the Bible points out, it was her home that Jesus was invited to, that Jesus was coming to. And so she was very cumbered about, very busy. On the other hand, we have Mary, though. Mary finds herself at the feet of Jesus Christ. And when it's all said and done, we know that Martha is upset and says, Jesus, 
Aren't you going to get married to give me a hand? Is it all right that she sits around doing nothing? All she is is sitting around at your feet. I'm busy. I've got a lot of work to do. Won't you tell her to help me? And boy, Jesus ultimately tells her, right? He says, this one thing is needful. Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And we said that Mary and Martha, they, they reflect basically two types of Christians. I don't know about you, but I have had people through the years say, I'm a Martha. And then there's other people who say, I'm a Mary. And in reality, even as men, we are Marys or Marthas to some degree. It seems that our personalities may be bent that way or we were raised a certain way. And as a result, we're kind of doers, doers, doers. Or we're, you know, more laid back, relaxed, and we focus a little bit more on the private side of things. But the fact is, is that I believe that these two ladies somewhat picture the Christian life. And we have... A Mary, and we have a Martha. We have those that are more gung-ho, so to speak, and rush right into the battle, maybe even without taking the time to spend any time with the Lord. We have others that, boy, if it was up to them, they'd never get in the battle so much, they'd rather just be at the feet of Jesus. And that's good. But what we found was is that really, in reality, one or the other is not exactly what God intends us to be. God intends us to be both. That it's not enough to just simply be a Mary. You can't just simply be at the feet of Jesus and never once put into practice what He shares with you, what He gives to you. So at some point, you have to get out on the front lines and do the work of God as well. So the goal is ultimately that these two come together. Come on, ladies, come on out together here. And that ultimately, they become, you become at one. So let's put Mary right up front and put Martha right in behind her there. And so in reality, you don't see a Mary or a Martha. You see a believer that is in balance. That's in balance. See, balance is the goal. Not to simply be a, a Martha running around like a chicken with our head cut off. Not just rushing out soul winning. Or not just teaching Sunday school. Or not just being a leader in some ministry. Now that's good and it's necessary and it's needful to some degree. But not before you become a Mary. And so what we find is that we start with Mary in our Christian life. And then the bottom line is, is this. There can be no Martha without a Mary at least. Not biblically. It begins with Mary. And so worship and then work. We, we begin with supplication, then service. We begin with adoration, then activity. We begin with devotion, then with doing. Then we, we begin with listening, then with laboring. Those are the, that's the role. That's how it works. So God doesn't call you to say, well, I created you to be a Martha. I created you to be a Mary. No, He created us to be a balance of both. He created us to be at the feet of Jesus, supplicating and interceding with God and to be in, in relationship with the Lord. And then, because of that relationship, we can go forth with great power and unction and strength to do the work of a Martha. So there has to be balance. Balance. And so, that's difficult to achieve, isn't it? Thank you, ladies. You did a great job. Give them a hand. They really did a great job, didn't they? Very good. Very good. And that is exactly what we're trying to achieve, is this balance then. And some have better balance than others in the area. And again, it's something we must work on and strive for. Because in the end, it's important that we understand and remember that both are important, that it's a balance. However, the Bible does say, and Jesus makes it clear, but this one thing is needful. Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. The point being is, is that, once again, that is the priority. That's the first place. That is the 
the foundation of all Christian service. That's the foundation of all Christian being, is the feet of Jesus. Again, God is not as interested in what you can do as He is as interested in who you are. The being is more important than the doing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He wants us to be at His feet first. Then as we are at the feet of Jesus, we are equipped and enabled and empowered to do the work of God. So our priority as Christians must be to dwell in the very presence of the Lord. That ought to be our priority. Not to go out soul winning. Not to to teach Sunday school. Not to be a leader among men or women. But to be at the feet of Jesus. That ought to be our main goal, our main priority in the Christian life. That's number one. Because without the Mary, there can be no effective Martha. And so, our priority as Christians must be to dwell in the presence of the Lord. And tonight I want to talk about that for just a moment. And then, I simply want to talk about some of the benefits of dwelling in the presence of the Lord. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and then we'll continue over the next few moments. Father... Bless our time together. Thank you again for just the simple truth that, Father, is ours from your word and help us to apply it to our lives. And again, Lord, I don't believe that anybody in the room tonight is here uh, that doesn't want to have a better relationship with you. I don't believe they'd be here on a Wednesday night if they didn't. But, Lord, by the same token, even we who are steeped in service, even we that are just up to our neck and living for you the best we can, or can be tempted to neglect the most important part. Or may we not be deceived or somehow distracted from that which the Lord Jesus said is the good part and that should not be taken away. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you as you help us tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Let's go ahead and consider that idea then that our priority as Christians must be to dwell in the presence of the Lord. You realize that Adam was created for fellowship, that God intended to fellowship with Adam. Over in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The implication seems to be that God had a relationship with Adam and Eve, that God had walked at least daily or at some point with Adam, that there was a relationship a fellowship that took place that God ultimately had designed Adam for. I don't know if he would have taken the time to get to know Adam. I don't know if he would have taken the time to walk with him in the cool of the day at any point if he had no desire to get to know him, no desire to fellowship with him. Oh, he had created him, but he wanted to interact with him. He wanted to have a relationship with him. And I believe today that without doubt, God wants that for you and I as well. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16... Again, we read about Christ who is creator, and it says, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Notice, and all things were created by him and for him. And for him. So when everything that was ever created was for him. Oh, by the way, you weren't created for somebody else. You were created for God. You, you know, that's, your, that's what God created you for him. Hey, God, by the way, God's a jealous God. He doesn't want you to give your best to someone else. He wants you to give your best to Him. Oh, nobody will ever be second if He put God first, though. It's an amazing thing how that works. You never have to worry about putting someone second if you put God first. 
You want to watch a world that's struggling with priorities in their life? They're trying to find a way to leave God out and still put someone first. It never works because guess who's always first if God isn't? Me. Me. And in your case, it's you. Oh, don't lie to yourself and don't believe somehow that it's some... No. If God is not first in our life, if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct and lead us, then I promise you that the flesh rules. And if the flesh rules, it's all about you. Oh, I know. I treat my wife good. Yeah, you probably treat her good so you get something for it. And oh, I treat my husband. Yeah, because there's some benefit in it if you treat him nice. There's always something about what we do for others that's about us if it's not Christ first. And it may be well deep within the the heart of man. It may be dug down in there real deep, covered up with a lot of benevolent giving and good actions and wonderful deeds. But the reality is, is it's still about me if it's not about him. And so we find that Adam was created for God. And guess what? So are we. And God intended that we fellowship with one another. Therefore, we must cultivate that relationship then. See, the Mary of the the story is at the feet of Jesus. She is cultivating a relationship with Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus, as we noted, is the Creator. And Jesus Christ is the God of all creation. And as a result of that, we have the privilege and the opportunity to have a relationship with the Creator of the universe. Not just with another mere man that walks the face of the earth. And not just even a Savior who died on a cross, but with the literal God who died for us paid for our sin, and created all things. And He lives in us and wants a relationship with us. What a wonderful privilege that is. We take it so lightly. We take it for granted so often. And yet He desires and He longs to have a fellowship with us and a relationship with us. If that's going to happen, we must cultivate that relationship. God does not have to do one more thing to provide a wonderful relationship between us and Him. He doesn't have to do one more thing to make that happen. It's all on our shoulders. So we must cultivate that relationship. How do we do that? Of course we do that by prayer and devotion. We understand that, I would imagine. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. Being still is a very difficult thing to do in the culture and society in which we live, isn't it? It's hard to be still, isn't it? And listen, if we, we're very honest with ourselves, we might find that we aren't nearly as still as we ought to be. It's very difficult to slow down long enough to let Him be God. So we're prayer and devotion, important. On our knees, fellowshipping with God, spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm Excuse me, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, Pray without ceasing. In Matthew 6, 6, we read, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. There is to be a relationship. We are to have prayer and devotion as a regular, a regular routine in our life. Not to where it becomes rote, and not to where it becomes just simply ritual, but the reality is we are literally in fellowship with God. And we want that fellowship. We long for that fellowship. We desire that fellowship. You say, well, I don't quite have that. Then you need to work on cultivating a relationship with the Lord. Cultivating it. Making it more apt. So prayer and devotion. Number two, Bible reading and study. Not just Bible reading, but study. 
It's the, it, yes, memorize Scripture. That's a wonderful thing. You need to. But it's not enough to read your Bible. You will never, ever understand God's Word by simply reading it. You'll never get it. You'll never become the person God intended you to be without studying the Bible. You'll never truly be complete, whole, and able to accomplish the calling and the purpose of God for your life until you've taken time to truly dig in to the Word of God and not just like it, but love it. So in order to do this, we have to hear His Word. We know Mary, she was at the feet of Jesus. She was listening while Martha was laboring. And sometimes we need to take the time to cultivate that relationship by hearing His Word. So we're going we're to hear it by maybe, who knows, a tape, a CD of some Alexander Scurby or somebody driving down the road. We're listening to the Word of God. We might be uh, listening to a preaching service from this church on our, our, on our iPod or our iPhone or, or on, on our Bluetooth or whatever it might be. But we're listening. We're allowing God's Word to penetrate our heart. We're allowing God's Word to truly impact our life. I'm just going to say something here, and I want you to be very careful with this. You need to be very careful who you listen to outside of this ministry. You, you need to be very careful. There's a reason why the Lord intended everyone to be a part of a local church. Okay? Okay, let me ask you this. If you had five men living in your home right now, and all five of them had their own rules, which one would you listen to? Which one? You say, well, I don't know. The one I like the best, I guess. That's a dangerous place to be in the church then. It's, it's dangerous. That's all I'm telling you. You need to be careful. Because you know what happens? I'm sure that if Brother Dean was out there on the radio and uh, Brother Mark was out on the radio and, 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 and Brother Jerome was out on the radio and there was a topic or a certain issue that we're addressing and pastors preaching on it and then each of them and their churches is preaching on it and dealing with it or they're writing about it on the Internet, I can almost guarantee you there's probably a little bit of a difference between each of them. You know which one I'm going to lean toward? The one that thinks sees it my way best. Here's what happens then. Just like in the home, there can only be one, one head in the home. If there's more than one head, there's confusion. And unfortunately, we need to be careful with confusion today. We have too much access to information. We have too much. And it is creating voids in the lives of people, and it is hurting the local church today. It's destroying the church. Be careful who you listen to. You say, but the Word of God's good no matter who gives it. Um, okay. I'm, I'm just trying to encourage you and help you. I guarantee you this. If one of you came back and said, you know what? I got a school counselor that's telling my kid this. And I don't agree with the counsel that that school counselor has given my child. And I said to you, well, you know what? That school counselor's got a, a degree. So I think that they ought to listen to that school counselor. You'd say, you're a nut preacher. I'm their parent. They're listening to me, not that school counselor. Wouldn't you say that? I would. So all I'm telling you is to be careful. Don't listen to other preachers if you don't want to get mixed up. Before it's over with, I'll, somebody will say something like me will get you mad. You won't agree, and then you'll run to some other preacher and they'll say, well, they don't have that. They believe in grace. They don't believe in all this legalism. Next thing you know, you know where you'll be? Right out the door and sitting in some new evangelical 
some crazy church that doesn't believe in anything. You better be careful. You be real careful. Hear his word. Get in this book, though. You never go wrong in this one. You know, do, do more time in this book than you do listen to everybody else. This is where you find the truth. That's all I'm telling you. You better be balanced in this thing. Be real careful. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. We've got to hear his word. And then meditate on that word. Like we said, it's not enough to just read it. You've got to really meditate on it. What's it mean to meditate? Often they've used the idea or the, the illustration, at least when I was in Bible school, of a cow, you know, and how a cow chews up its, its food and then it swallows it and then it regurgitates it and then it chews it again. You know, a cow chewing his cud. That's what basically he's doing. He's going, Mmm, I'm good. Mmm, that's better the third time. That, that's what it's talking, I mean, meditating, really just letting it come back up again, letting it just soak in, you know, just really enjoying it. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Meditate on the word, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt ha- make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Well, we've got to meditate on it. You've got to meditate on it. Number three, of course, the house of God. You need to be in the house of God. I mean, where do you hear God's Word and where do you have it taught and where do you really get encouraged by that thing? Man, I'll tell you, the house of God, the Word of God. We could go to Ephesians chapter 4 and we could learn that He gave some apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. What He's saying is without the church, you can't be perfected then. You say, well, you can do it with the pastors and the teachers. Yeah, but really, see, it's only in your generation and mine right now where you can get a hold of pastors and teachers and all of those different groups that before you had to go to church to get, you kind of go anywhere you want to get it now. I told you, that's, a, that's dangerous stuff. You know, you've got to be careful with that. But in reality, if you truly want genuine biblical doctrine, you need to find a local church. You cannot be everything God intends you to be without the local church. It's impossible. It's utterly impossible. And so... Get in the Word of God in the local church, in the house of God. We have David's example in chapter 27, verse 4. David himself said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. Boy, David said, I love the house of God. I love being in the presence of the Lord while, while worshiping together as a congregation. Boy, it's so wonderful. So, what an opportunity that is. What a wonderful privilege that is. So, so, utilize that opportunity. Our priority as Christians must be to dwell in the presence of the Lord. And we do that by cultivating a personal relationship. Putting ourselves in a place where we can get what we need, when we need it, to become what God intended us to be. What are the benefits of dwelling in the presence of the Lord then? Well, first of all, there's power in the presence of the Lord. There's power there. There's power to live our lives for the Lord. Probably the biggest reason why we struggle with living the Christian life victoriously is because we spend so little time in His presence. That, that's probably the biggest reason. It's not that we're not talented enough or we don't know enough. We know enough. We probably know enough. 
but we don't have the power of His presence in our life. Boy, how important is that? Galatians 2.20. Turn there real quickly. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. Just a great passage, Galatians 2.20. I mean, it's wonderful. And yet it's something that's very um, convicting, I guess. Notice what he says. I am crucified with Christ, he says. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And he was in the presence of God, and and he was yielded to the Lord. He had power to live his life, and he died, he was crucified to himself. He died to self daily. Why? Because he took on the Christ life. He said, I'm not going to live my own life, I'm going to live his life. I'm going to allow Him to live in and through me. That means when I have a desire to live in this flesh, or when I have a desire to do what I want to do, I'm going to do what Jesus would do instead. I'm going to yield myself to Him. I'm going to surrender myself to Him. I'm going to die to this flesh and allow Christ to have control of it. Power to live. And if you have power to live, of course, you'll have power to serve. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the Bible says, Faithful is He who calleth you, who also will do it. Man, if He calls you to do something, if He puts it on your heart and He makes it clear, and, and of course, uh, obviously, if He puts it on your heart and uh, you, you, you have the support of your pastor and the leadership of the church, let me tell you something. I'm telling you now, you're going to be able to do it. You're going to be able to get it done. You're going to be able to get that thing done. Faithful is He who calleth you who also will do it. The power in the presence of the Lord. There's power. But not only that, there's peace in the presence of the Lord. There's peace. Turn to Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Notice again the passage. It says, be careful for nothing. One of the things that we're all guilty of, probably more than we would like to admit again, is that we get a little bit concerned and careful about too many things. We worry about things. We fret over things. We, we bear the burden of our circumstance and our situations all too often. And all along, God's trying to tell us, listen, be careful for nothing. But in everything... Notice what he says, by prayer and supplication. What's he saying? By that relationship and that fellowship that we can have together, get into my presence, get into my presence, get into my presence, and all of a sudden I'm telling you, he says, make those requests to me. Pour your heart out to me. Share your burden with me. Give it all to me. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Notice he even goes on, and I think it's important to note, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving. You you want to know often why we fail, again, to find the real peace in circumstances, especially negative or critical or difficult circumstances? Because we can't thank God for them. Do you understand that we have to be able to thank God in our circumstances or we'll never find peace? no matter how tragic they are, until we learn to say, okay, God, you obviously have a purpose and you obviously have a reason and I'm not big enough to understand it all. And until you decide to share with me what that purpose is and what that reason is, I will trust you 
to the very end, I know you have a purpose and a reason for everything. Lord, I don't know what it is, but I can thank you for the strength you're giving me. I can thank you for the grace you've extended. And I can thank you for what you're going to teach me through all of this mess. Lord, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to thank you for the opportunity to suffer for you. Remember what happened. Even with those disciples, as they went out and they preached the gospel in the book of Acts chapter 4, when it was all said and done, they were beaten. And the Bible says they came out praising and thanking God that they had the opportunity, the privilege to suffer for Jesus. They thanked Him, and guess what they found? Perfect peace. Even in the midst of the swollen faces and probably the broken bones, they found peace. That is unbeknown to most of us today. We can't wrap our minds around that. I can guarantee you in my own life, I've had experiences where I did not like the, the road I was traveling. When it looked like I was headed to Iraq to go to the war that time and hadn't even seen my son, I'm going to tell you something, I was not excited about leaving and going off to war. And I remember thinking, man, this is terrible. I can't even imagine this. Here I am, you know, preparing, you know, uh, for the ministry. Here I am trying to do the right thing. Here I am trying to live my life for Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden I get news while I'm away from my two-week uh, trip up to, to uh, Michigan on my, uh, in the National Guard that we're getting orders and they're coming down and I'm being shipped off to Iraq. I was like devastated. I'm not going to lie to you. I went off in the woods and, buddy, I'm going to tell you what, I had a rough time. I, I broke down. For two solid weeks, I begged God and I prayed to God and I said, Lord, Lord, I don't want to go. Lord, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer it. I'd, I'd please you don't let me go. And Lord, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I just don't know, understand what's going on. And I, I just don't want to go over there. And they, they eventually sent us home. But for two weeks now, they said, just be on standby. Be on standby. It looks like we're going over. Be on standby. And I prayed at morning, noon and night. I prayed and I fasted and I begged God to help me. You know, it took me two full weeks, and finally at the end of two weeks, here's the conclusion I came to. The Lord put it on my heart. Some reason, somehow, some way, I was able to say this to the Lord. Lord, if you want me to go to Iraq and die as a missionary on the field, I will go do it, and I will thank you for it. Thank you for that privilege and opportunity. If you call me to that mission field, I will go, and I'll be the best witness I can be over there, and if you want me to be in heaven, I'll go to heaven. I'm all right with it. Well, I'll tell you what, when I was able to thank God for that opportunity to go, just like that, I had a peace. I didn't lay awake no more thinking about it. I didn't worry about whether I could see someone or couldn't. I knew my wife would be taken care of. I knew my kids, whoever, whatever. It'd all be handled because God was in control. I could thank God for it. And that's when God began to speak to me probably about three to five days later. And He made it very clear to me I would not even go. But it wasn't until I got to the place where I was willing to go and have a good spirit and a good attitude and be able to thank Him for the opportunity that I found the peace. See, I practiced this passage and God helped me to deal with this. And may I say today, whether it's a loss of a loved one, a family member, a friend, whether it's your own situation in your life, until we can get to the place where we can thank God for the opportunity, where we can thank God for that situation and how it's going to bring glory to Him, not how, what it's going to do to me, not what it's going to do to what it's going to do for Him, so we can get to that place, we won't find the peace. You don't find that peace unless you're in His presence, though. You'll never find it. You'll never find it in some, on, on some couch in someone's office. You'll you never find it across the desk from your preacher. 
You find that peace in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only person, the only way you find it. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which past all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again, I just want to encourage you. If you're struggling with peace in your life, it's because you probably haven't been able to thank God for something in it. Find out what it is you can't thank God for. And I bet you'll find peace once you settle that with Him. So there's peace in His presence. Number three, there's rest in His presence. There's rest in the presence of Christ. We know the passage in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's face it, life can get so big and so busy that we can't relax, we can't rest. I want you to look, if you would, in Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. We're going to look at David for just a moment. We're going to look at two passages. Right there in that same passage, chapter 22 of Psalm. I want you to see how different David's attitude was after he met with God. After he met with God. In Psalm 22, 1 and 2, we're going to see before he meets with God. Then we're going to look in just a moment at a passage in that same chapter after he met. And what it change, what a dramatic change took place. Notice it says, to the chief musician upon Shara Shahar, that's it, Shahar, a psalm of David. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now we understand that this is prophetic as well. We get that, okay? We do understand that. But the psalmist writes this. And notice what he says here. David says, why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and I am uh, and, and not silent. Boy, I'll tell you what, David's got a real problem here, doesn't he? I mean, he's crying out to God, but God's not answering him from his perspective. He's not hearing from the Lord at all. He says, you are so far from helping me. What's the deal? None of us have ever felt that way, right? Of course we have. You don't have to be too awfully old to feel that way probably be about a six-year-old going in for a test. And you're starting to go, God, why can't you help me with this test? He's probably going, because you didn't study. But nonetheless, the fact is, is that you're going, come on, God, now come back quickly, okay? Spare me this F. But we see in the passage again, David's attitude. Why art thou, why have you forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Someone says, you know, we don't have a right to say those words. Oh, we have a right to say them to God. You've got to say them to God. See, God already knows you feel that way. Now, here's what I would encourage you not to do. Don't go around telling everybody else. I'd encourage you to go talk to him about it. That's what I would do. You say, well, David wrote about it. Yeah, I know. I don't know if he wrote that and made it public to the whole nation of Israel before it was put in the Bible or not. But what I do know is, before he ends up in the chapter... Now, this is interesting. He's writing, right? Before he ends the chapter, before he ends the chapter. I don't know if this took him a day to write, an hour to write, if it took him a week to write, or a year to write. i got to believe it wasn't that long of a period of time. But I want you to note what happened here in Psalm 22. Notice before he meets with God. Now notice verse 24, after he meets with God. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from me. But when he cried unto him, he heard. Isn't that something? 
You know what the, the difference was? He, from verses 1 and 2 to verse 24, met with God. Many times in the book of Psalm, you'll read a psalm, and in the beginning of that psalm, you find the psalmist extremely discouraged and downtrodden. But before the end of that psalm, you find him rejoicing and exalting Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because in the midst of it all, he met with the Lord. And when you meet with the Lord, you'll find the rest that you seek and that you need. Not only that, but there is grace or contentment in the presence of Christ. In Philippians 4.11, the Apostle Paul, a very familiar passage, says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. This is important. This is a verse we know. This is not a concept we practice. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, Therewith to be content. That could go right back to that Philippians chapter 4 that we just read about a little while ago. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Boy, Paul the Apostle learned to be content. In chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, we know that he had a thorn in the flesh. We know that ultimately it bothered him and it was a problem for him. But he ultimately says in verse 9, My grace, the Lord says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then he says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, Paul says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Contentment or the grace of God is recognized and only manifest in his presence again. If you're looking for God's grace, you'll find it in His presence. If you're looking for true contentment and being able to accept whatever state you're in, you must be in His presence. And Paul the Apostle ultimately says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul had some real infirmities. He was beaten. He was left for dead. He was stoned. Paul had all kinds of issues taking place, and yet he said, I had to learn a valuable lesson in life. If I was not going to get bitter at God, if I wasn't going to be bitter at man, if I wasn't going to be upset with everything that was going on around me, then I would have to learn to be content. And guess what? I did. I figured it out in time. God gave me the grace and the ability to say, it's all right with me. It's good enough for me. Because of time, let me just rush to the last one. There's confidence in the presence of Christ. There's confidence. And again, we're not talking about this confidence that is outside of the Lord, that says, I can do all things without Christ. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, I can do all things through Christ. And there is a difference. Again, I want to encourage all you young men to have big dreams, but I don't want you to have big dreams without God. I want you to go to God and say, God, I want to do great things on your behalf. Fill me with your spirit. Enable me to be everything you want me to be. And Lord, put a vision on my heart to reach the world with the gospel. Big things. Oh, and like Joseph, you'll probably tell a few folks and they'll say, son, you're being a little arrogant, a little prideful. You say, I know I'm just trusting Jesus. It will have to be all God. I'm just going to yield myself though, but I believe God can do a mighty work. 
And some of them may still say, yeah, well, you young men just don't understand how the real world works. That's all right. Just say, praise God. And keep on going and dream big for God. And have the confidence that only God can give you. In His presence, you'll find a confidence to take the next step in your life. Whether it's in ministry, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your work. But you can do that with confidence when you are in His presence. In His presence. Don't fool yourselves. You cannot have a bad spirit and be in His presence. Don't fool yourself. You cannot be fulfilling sin and have open sin in your life and be in His presence. Don't fool yourself. You cannot regard iniquity in your heart and still be in His presence. You can't do that, nor can I. You cannot be rebellious to the authority God's placed you under, whether it's your mom and dad, whether it's your pastor, whether it's your husband, no matter whom it is, you can, whether it's the police officer that God's put over us. You cannot have or be in the presence of God if we are in that state of mind and body. We must be under His authority, yielded as He would have us be yielded, submitted as He'd have us be submitted, humble as He'd have us be humble. And then, and only then, can we truly enter into the presence of a holy, righteous God. We are fooling ourselves today many times because we are living our lives in self. And we believe somehow that God has put a stamp of approval on our ideas, our ideology, our perspective, our goals, our future. God can only bless what He directs. Not what we direct. And I want to encourage you to be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And more importantly, more importantly, be sensitive to the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit will never tell you to do something that isn't already outlined and described in this book. He will never tell you to do anything that goes contrary to the Word of God. So this right here, he said over in the book of Psalm 138, verse 2, that he would exalt his Word above all his name. This, this right here is the key to our faith and practice. Not God told me. Not God told me. Preacher, God told me. Okay. There it is. Where? Show me where. But God told me I didn't have to... Good. I'm glad to hear that. Could you show that to me, please? I'd love to see that for myself. I'd love to see it. Man, I'd love to learn that lesson. I'd love to learn that I can do that, or I can go here, or I could be that, or I could think that, or I don't have to do this, or I don't have to do... Show me, please. Show me, please, so that I can help the rest of the church. It's going to be here. But the Lord told me, okay, show me where He told you. This is how we need to live our lives as believers. And if we truly want to be the kind of Martha's performing and doing the work of God as He would have us do, it begins as a Mary. We begins as a Mary. Two aspects of the Christian life that are pictured in Mary and Martha. On the one hand, one woman busy about the work, the other at the feet of Jesus. Both are important, but we must begin at the feet of Jesus, then we get in the fight. Don't get in the fight before you've been at the feet. Do not get in the fight before you've been in the feet. 
Once you've been to the feet of Jesus, you can get in the fight. And you know what you won't get? You won't end up disappointed. You won't end up discouraged. You won't find yourself in a bad place feeling used and taken advantage of by the leadership or by those you're serving. You'll never feel that way if you've been at the feet before you got in the fight. But if you get in the fight first and neglect the feet, I promise you, you're going to struggle with your flesh. Father, we come to you.